Shabbat Shalom. We are in part two of our series on vision and mission. So a, con- a community's mission, of course, clarifies why it exists, while a vision reveals where it wants to go. Our mission, again, is to help people encounter Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Our vision, by the grace of God, is to birth and establish Messianic congregations where Jewish believers and Gentile believers can unite, can worship and fellowship, grow and share the good news of Jesus throughout our world. Last week, we traced the birth of the church all the way back to Moses. So if you haven't heard last week's message, it's important to get that. and You can get that on our website or on YouTube and download that and listen to it. But it's important for us to understand that the church, local churches are just an expression of the universal church, which is everywhere in all places. The universal church started all the way back with Moses and the people of Israel. She is the church. She's called the called out ones. She is called the congregation of the Lord. The translation of the Hebrew kahal into the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, is ekklesia, which we translate as church. We discovered that Israel is the church. It began with Moses. It fell into uh, ruinization through apostasy. And Jesus came, sent by God, to save her, raise her up so that she can fulfill the mission that God had given to her. So, we get grafted in to this church that's being built up by Yeshua. We as Gentiles are grafted in and get to participate with her in this redemption, in the covenants of promise. And every local church should be an expression of that, should represent that, should reflect who she is and her mission of sharing the good news of the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God coming to us in our world through Jesus the Messiah. Every local church should have some Messianic Jews and a whole bunch of Gentiles. That's an expression of what was established both in the days of Moses and in the apostolic uh, period. So, what I want to do today is I want to talk about five core values that make up a healthy church. This is part two in our series, and so let's start with the definition of the church. We talked about this last week. A Messianic congregation or church is a group of Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles that unite to commit to meet together at the appointed times as a local expression of the ecclesia, or the church of Jesus. Messianic Jews, Messianic Gentiles meeting together, what? At the appointed times, that's a local expression of the church of God, of God's people, Israel, both Jews and now the Gentiles being grafted in. Israel's expanded. She grows. Congregations, local congregations, should be overseen and led and safeguarded by qualified men. We call them elders who answer 
and are accountable to other authorities for their spiritual oversight of the congregation. Before we look into what it takes to birth a Messianic congregation, let's take a dive into the waters of what church culture and life comprises. What is that matrix of a local church? What should it have as its components, right? What makes it what it is? Churches are to provide the soil, the nutrients, and the environments for spiritual growth, life, prosperity, and success of their members. That's what churches do. So here's the five core values that make up healthy churches. Number one, unity. Unity. It's so important. We miss that a lot in the Messianic movement. We're very, very divided in the Messianic movement. We should be united, not divided. We should fight for unity, those things that we agree upon, rather than highlighting things we disagree on, which leads to division. So let me talk about unity. How does God create unity within local communities? It takes us all the way back to Leviticus 23, verses 1 and 2. The Lord spoke again to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel. You could translate that, speak to the people of Israel, because it's not male-specific in this context. Speak to the children of Israel, and we could also say, based on the unfolding revelation, and the Gentiles who are grafted in, the mixed multitude who also became part of the covenant people of Israel at Sinai, and later at the second, uh, uh, the, the second time when they go into the land and actually take the land. Okay, so, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the Lord's appointed times, the Lord's appointed times. God has a calendar. He's very busy. He's refined. The fine-tuning of the universe itself, all that has to happen is infinitely in, incomprehensible. It's so much, so much involved. O- only God could really understand that and make all that happen so that you and I can breathe and live and dance and eat and have families. You know, it's just amazing. He's very busy. And he takes his calendar out and says, you know what? In spite of all the things that are on my plate, I'm going to carve out some time for you. I'm going to carve out time where Abba comes and spends time with you. A good father who spends time with his children, right? He says, here's my calendar. This is when I'm available. This is where I'm going to show up. Now, as wise children, we're going to want to show up at those times. You ever try to show up to meet your doctor or your dentist or whoever at a time and location that he did not list? Guarantee you, he's not going to be there. You're just going to show up. He's not going to be there. Yeah, because he has a schedule. God has a schedule. Our father has a schedule. And when he shows up and we show up, things happen. That's his promise, by the way. Speak to the sons of Israel. Say to them, the Lord's appointed times, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. I have my calendar. These are my holy times. Moses, I want you to tell them that they need to gather at these appointed times. I I want them to come out of their homes. I want an in-person gathering at the appointed times. That's what convocation means. You shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed times are these. 
In summary, God has holy days. They are mandated convocations. They are mandated in-person gatherings. You don't get a FaceTime. It's not Zoom church. Zoom. We'll just Zoom in and have church. No, you can Zoom in and have fun, but that is not an in-person gathering. That does not fulfill what God has commanded. Catholics, 1.3 billion. Judaism, when you look at Judaism and all the branches of Judaism, both are in agreement. A convocation has to be in person. It can't be a Zoom. can't be a Zoom. If you're being talked into doing a Zoom rather than an in-person meeting, you're getting ripped off. I feel like a Geico commercial or whatever. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, in-person is what God wanted. Because something powerful happens when we're in person together. Something unique that cannot take place on Zoom takes place in an in-person gathering. Now, I know there are people in places where there are no communities. So live stream, uploading a video, Zooming, good, good secondary alternatives when you don't have the option of meeting in person. My encouragement is this. My encouragement, it's even better than Zoom. My encouragement is live stream. And before you live stream, invite some friends over, have a meal together, live stream, and then do some worship or some Bible study or whatever. Man, that is like, that is, that is good. That's going to work until there's a congregation in your location. <laughs> if you're doing that, that could be the next congregation in your location, right? That's how churches get started. So, okay, so verse three, for six days, here we go. Let's take a look at the first and primary holy day that God gives. This is the first one, and it's the primary one that he gives. For six days, work may be done. But on the seventh day, there is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all of your dwellings. It's a Sabbath to the Lord. It is his day. It's not your day. It's not my day. It's his day. It is the Lord's day. The Lord's day. Shabbat is the Lord's day. I know we always hear Sunday is the Lord's day, but a close read of the text points out clearly that the Sabbath belongs to him. It's holy unto him and it's his day. Therefore, I'm very comfortable referring to the Shabbat as the Lord's day. Pretty clear in the text, not this one, or not this one alone, but many in addition to this. And he says that this is a day of rest and a day that you all are to come out of your homes and gather together on. It's a holy convocation. This is the weekly holy day that God has established for weekly meetings. It is the seventh day Sabbath, not the first day Sunday very clear. It's amazing. I talk to people over and over and over. I talk to pastors over and over and over. I talk to theologians from time to time. And I'm thinking to myself, how do we miss this? How, I, you know, I don't know how we miss this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And people are just scratching their heads like, well, we do that on Sunday. I'm thinking, how, who am I talking to? Drug test. I want a drug test. 
Good grief. You go from the text, remember Sabbath day to change, or remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, to catechism that says, remember the Sabbath day and change it to Sunday. And all of Protestantism follows. I'm thinking, what happened? It, it's, it's so clear. The Sabbath is holy unto the Lord. He calls us to be holy like Him, and then He calls us to make the Sabbath day holy unto us. This is the day that Jesus went to church on. Okay? Now we might say went to synagogue on. Same thing. That's a Hebraic way of saying, let's gather together on the appointed times. You can say synagogue, you can say congregation, you could say church, you could say temple. It's the place where you gather. And where did he gather? He gathered in the synagogue. When? Every Sabbath, week in and week out. It's the day Jesus went to church on. People ask me from time to time, why do you go to church on Saturday? I said, well, it's the day Jesus went to church on. They like, about, they about fall over, you know? Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, think about it. Just watch the miniseries, The Chosen. You'll get it. <laughs> Hollywood's doing better and better as time goes on, in some regards. Keep that in context. Okay. Are we believers in Jesus? Or are we followers of Jesus? Believers and followers. That's the best, right? If we're going to be followers of Jesus, don't you think it's a good idea that we would follow him in what he modeled in terms of what days he kept? Absolutely. It is in our gathering together in his name that we demonstrate our identity, our unity and solidarity as Israel, the people of God. Jewish believers comprise the redeemed Israel. Gentile believers who are grafted in participate with her as Israel, the redeemed of the Lord. And when we keep the Shabbat, Everyone on the outside is going to look and say, yeah, that's Israel. Hitler did that in the Holocaust. How did he have his, his regime identify Jewish people? One of the earmarks that they looked for was, what day did they worship on? You know who they collected along with Jews? Seventh-day Adventists. Yeah, anyone keeping the Sabbath, they said, that's a Jew, get him, round him up, take him to the... The, the labor camps. Yeah, it's a mark of identification. When we gather on Shabbat, we declare that unity, that God is the creator, redeemer, and sanctifier of all who believe in him and receive his son as their Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit also unites us. Paul tells us to foster our unity of the Holy Spirit through the bond of peace. I want to just congratulate our congregation. You, you, do a, you do a really good job in terms of safeguarding the bond of peace by loving each other, by encouraging one another, instead of this nitpicking, fighting, and gossiping that just divides communities, just destroys communities. I, I, I just... 
I want to thank you as a community that you are always fighting for one another, for each other's integrity. I can't encourage you enough to continue to do that, right? When someone comes up and says, someone comes up and says, do you know what so-and-so said about you? Or do you know what so-and-so said about me? You know, I just want to encourage you to keep telling people, oh, excuse me, can we go get them first before we have this discussion? And then if your brother or sister says, well, no, that wouldn't be good, then say, okay, well, shut up and forgive me for saying that because I love you, but I don't want to hear that. That's gossip. Let's not tear each other down. Let's build each other up. So if you want, we'll go get that person. We'll work through it. If you need some time to pray about it, that's fine too, but you don't get to talk about them when they're not here. Let's safeguard each other's dignity. Let's safeguard our relationships. We need that as a community to stay united. We, haven't, we have the world that's attacking us, the enemy that's attacking us. Let's not fall into the trap of attacking one another. And you're doing a good job, so thank you for that. Paul says this, Ephesians 4, 1 through 5, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. What a powerful verse humility, gentleness, patience. Man, I'll tell you what, part of forbearance is when you overlook the sins of your brother or sister. Rather than pointing them out, reproving them. How many people love to be corrected by a peer? It's like, give me a break. You mind your own business. You, you got your own problems, right? No, let, let, let the elders and, and the pastors bring those reproofs and that correction. They typically will do that at the proper time with much, much patience and compassion. Your job in the community is to build each other up. He goes on to say, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Fight to preserve the unity Unity is everything. I cannot tell you how many people have left, left this community. Well, you know, Pastor, you know, we, you know we're, we're leaving because we have a different view on Genesis and cosmology. We, we, think, we think it's seven literal days, or we think it's seven eras of time that comprise billions of years, or whatever your, whatever your view is, right? Oh, we're leaving because we have a different view. That's a secondary issue. That's not even salvific. It has nothing to do with salvation. Why would you leave over that? Why do people leave over that? Jesus is saying, no, get united, not divided. You know, unite and stay united. And what do you not unite around? First tier issues, big issues. Who Jesus is, how we're saved. Yeah, those are the issues that are big. If I was teaching that somehow I'm, I'm the fourth member in the Godhead. Yes, leave, run. <laughs> run, Forrest, run. Of course, that's a first-tier issue. We should not be living over issues that are not first-tier issues. And if we do, at least find a church that you can at least commit to and plug in and go to work long-term. I found people that have left for those reasons never stay at their next church either, and we, they didn't stay at the church they were at before they came here. That's why we always try to ask on our membership applications, what church did you come from? 
Because if you didn't leave that appropriately, we want to help you go back and get that right before we receive you here. Because if you don't get those things right, you'll just replay it here. And we don't want the drama. So, let's work our issues out. Okay. Healthy churches. Let me just summarize this. Healthy churches remember and keep the Sabbath holy. They teach their community to set aside 24 hours of time from Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. They encourage them to spend time with their families, get away from all the distractions, all the worldly stuff, all the social media, all the Netflix or whatever. Make it a day that's holy. Watch The Chosen. Watch The Sound of Music. Watch Fiddler on the Roof. You know, make it a spiritual day that's encouraging you in your faith and then come to synagogue, come to congregation, come to church for that in-person gathering where you can encounter each other and build relationship because we need that. We need that unity. We're going to need it. It's time to get tougher and tougher like never before. From Friday sunset to Saturday sunset, uniting and sharing in the grace of God as a faith community. This practical, in-person unity is whatever every believing Jew and every believing Gentile needs in order to be healthy. Our next one, number two, worship. Worship is the next value and the next earmark of a healthy church. Worship is the expression of love and fidelity and devotion and adoration that one has in their hearts towards God. You can have love, you can have fidelity, you can have devotion, you can adore God. But if you never express it, stiff upper lip, don't show any emotion, just keep it all inside, that's not going to work. That's not worship. Worship is the expression of those things. Worship is where we, in our hearts, express in our behaviors what we're feeling. We do that in our relationships with one another, right? I say, you know what? We need to let it all out. Open up the floodgates. Like King David, he was praising God before he even got to the sanctuary, to the temple. He was like all worked up, lathered up, sweaty, you know, taking off parts of his tunic on his way, right? He entered into his gates with thanksgiving and praise. He was expressing himself, speaking, shouting, dancing, laughing, rolling on the ground from time to time. People say, oh, we, you know, it's all inside. You just keep it in. Yeah, try that with your wife or your husband. You're going to keep it all in. Never say anything. Never express anything. You know? Yeah. It's not going to work. Worship is the expression of that adoration. And we do that in formal ways and in ways that are spontaneous. It involves our hearts, our intellect, and our bodies. John 4, 20 through 24, issue of worship. Samaritan woman at the well encounters Jesus. Jesus takes the conversation from the natural to the supernatural. She catches this, and she begins to engage with him. She says to him, 
Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth, implying that false worship is just spiritual in nature, but not shaped by the truth. Or it's a focus on the truth, but it never enters into the heart of the person. Jesus says the the Father is going to be worshipped in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is seeking worshipers. God is seeking his eyes to and fro throughout the earth of who's going to worship him. And those that are saying, I will worship you with everything in my being, all of my fiber, my body, my soul, my mind, my will, my mind. I give it all to you. I open up the floodgates and I'll do it in the way that you have prescribed it. God says, you get to be one of my worshipers. I'm going to bring you in. You get to be a true worshiper of the living God. God is a spirit. Verse 24. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. Forms and expressions of worship are informed, shaped, and ordered by truth. Deuteronomy 12, 28 through 32. God says, be sure to obey all these instructions I'm giving to you, you being those who he saved out of Egypt. He's talking about the redeemed of the Lord. Be sure to obey all these instructions I'm giving you, then things will go well for you and your descendants because you will be doing what the Lord, your God, considers good and right. The Lord, your God, will destroy the nations where you were going and force them out of your way. You will take possession of their land and live there. Verse 30. After they've been destroyed, be careful. You aren't tempted to follow their customs. Don't even ask about their God saying, how did these people worship their gods? We want to do what they did. Verse 31. Never worship the Lord your God in the way they worship their gods. Let me say that again. Never worship the Lord your God the way that they worship their gods. He's not saying don't worship their gods. He's saying don't learn about how the pagans worship their gods and then package that and offer it to me. Don't worship me the way they worship their gods. Don't do that. Everything they do, they do for their gods. Everything they do is disgusting to the Lord. He hates it. They even burn their sons and daughters as sacrifices to their gods. Wicca is now a 501c3 in the United States. They have their own churches in like the Air Force. They have one down, they have a, a Wiccan outdoor altar and everything, right? Right down here in Colorado Springs. Yeah. And Wicca is, of course, kind of a pseudo pagan. It's really rooted in, in some of the traditional pagan forms of worship that we see all the way back before the first century. A lot of the rituals are done on their holy days in the buff, in the nude. Outdoors, usually in the nude. 
It's about nature worship. It involves that at least. We have the naked church of America now. It, it's also, you know, they, they started that like about five years ago, you know. I can't even, I can't even, the, really, really? Well, that's based on what you find in a lot of the pagan rituals, that a lot of the rituals are done in the nude. So now we have a kind of like, um, what would you call that? A kind of an offshoot of that, where it's more of a traditional um, Christian orientation of kind of the wicked practice of having church in the nude. Very spiritual. Very spiritual. Just not in relationship to the truth. We have a huge stream of Christianity that uses statues and images as springboards in inspiring and directing their worship towards heaven. That didn't work too well for Israel when they did the golden calf and tried to say, oh yeah, it represents you in unrestrained power and glory. They even said, and tomorrow we'll even have a, a holy day that we make for you. So, so now we're, we're changing what God has required for worship and even changing days for when we worship. It did not work out well for Israel. Churches make their own holy days in contradistinction to God's holy days. That's why God says, I'm looking for those that are going to worship me in spirit and in truth. Not, not just spiritually with their hearts, but also in alignment with what I've prescribed in relationship to how and when they worship me. Yeah. If you're not concerned about that, we're not the right place. If you're concerned about connecting with God in a real and living way and worshiping Him in alignment with what, how and, and, and when He said to worship Him, we're the right place. He says, be sure to do everything I command you. Never add anything to it or take anything away from it. The context is worship, of course. So in summary, worship is what our hearts and minds hunger to express. It's a phenomenon of the born-again experience. It's that living water bubbling up within you where you just want to, you want to, you want to express that. That's why, that's why we're, if you've been to our worship services, you know, we're going to sing and shout and dance. You, you see that every week, and I think we're a little bit reserved, to be honest. You know, we're getting there. But yeah. Unspeakable joy and full of glory. Let's come, let's praise, let's shout, let's dance, let's laugh, let's roll around. I mean, it's a celebration. God is worthy of all of our worship. We do that in liturgical, structured forms, and we do that in spontaneous forms, both of those rooted in the, in the biblical text. You know, when we do liturgy, it's all about being reserved. So when we do our liturgy, be quiet. Don't move around. Listen to the words. Recite when, when it's your turn to recite. That's the power of liturgy. It's as powerful as spontaneous forms of worship. We see both of those given by God to Israel. As God gives us spiritual food, we give back to God thanksgiving and praise, which returns to us in what we describe as satisfaction. 
Remember the old Rolling Stone song with Mick Jagger, I Can't Get No Satisfaction? It's, yeah, quit worshiping yourself. You know, try to do everything for yourself and satisfy the flesh. And of course, you're never satisfied because that can never satisfy. Worship the living God. He'll give you spiritual food that, oh my gosh, you're just so full, so satiated, so happy, regardless of your circumstances. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter your status, whether married or not married, right? The Lord can give you this peace and this joy that's just a quality of life that says, man, I want to share that with others. I want to give it away. It's worth the encounter. Corporately singing, corporately dancing, shouting, lifting our hands, laughing, crying, bowing, reciting liturgy, practicing silence is healthy and satisfying, empowering. All week long, get beat up. You come here, you get refilled, ready for another beating. Yeah, not ready to go out and give some beating. Ready to go out and give some love and probably get beat up because of it. But we come back here to get filled up again because it's worth reaching out to people. That terrorist fundamentally changed in his encounter with Jesus. Goes from wanting to kill Jews to turning himself in and saying, I'm sorry, do whatever you want. I want to love you. And he's going back to the Gaza after, after, after Israel's done in the Gaza. He's taking his team, his ministry, back to Gaza. You know what he's going to do in the Gaza? He's going to go and share with as many Palestinians the love of Jesus and what he's encountered, knowing that that is the answer to the crisis. This bitterness, this anger is fueling terrorism, and it's not going to end well for the Gazans, for the Palestinians. What the Palestinians need is Jesus, not Hamas. That's right. So healthy churches value and practice expressions and forms of worship that inform, are informed, shaped, and safeguarded by the truth. They create communities that love Jesus, that when sharing the love of Jesus can transform terrorists. It is the power of God to change this world. It is the power of God to deliver one from evil. It is the power of God to bring life and its abundance to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Okay, this is turning into a never-ending series because I can't even get through this one. We got two of the five values. We'll pick up the next three next week, God willing. Shabbat shalom.